This episode is brought to you by Cold Storage Coins, the easiest way to own Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. G'day, soldiers of the Altcoin Army. Welcome to the Altcoin Buzz podcast with your hosts, Alicia, Matt, and James. Lovely Alicia and Mad Dog Matthew. It's great to uh, see you on the podcast once again. Yeah, likewise. Great to hear you both. You have such pleasant voices. It's uh, We start early on a Saturday morning, and it's uh, it's the best part of my morning as I start the day, that's for sure, and the weekend. It's so flattering what Matt said. That is like his, the best part of his morning. Oh, he's such a sweet talker, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. What do you want? <laughs> I'm just a lonely guy. It's all downhill for me from here. Nothing to look forward to. We, we, we love you, Matty. We love you. Yeah, we love you. <laughs> Sending you kisses. <laughs> all right guys we've got a uh, we've got a pretty special episode today but we'll go through the news first we've got our we've got a guest mr nicholas data dash himself you guys looking forward to it yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to it because uh, he's got a lot of things to say and i'm really looking forward to listening to him yeah nick is a living legend nicholas merton data dash i mean if you i mean Look, he's a competitor at the same time, you know, to Altcoin Buzz and, and what we're talking about on YouTube. But you got to be able to embrace friends in the community. We're all working towards the same thing in terms of talking about cryptocurrency, in, in terms of uh, discussing blockchain technology. So in that space, we're also comrades. We're also allies in uh, this this revolution that's occurring. And Nick just puts out incredible work. He's very analytical. He's a very, very bright guy. So very, very much looking forward to discussing the topic of crypto with him and picking his brain. For all those who uh, haven't gone to his YouTube channel, find him on DataDash on YouTube. He, the guy's got a lot a, a lot to offer in, in forms of analytics, projections. And for those who really want to try and get into crypto and not 100% sure and you still still need that little bit of an extra help, you know, we, we'll always teach on Altcoin Buzz and, and look for the community, people like Superman, uh, Altcoin Buzz and, and DataDash. And there's a whole range of others, David Hayes, etc. These guys have a lot of knowledge, so so definitely uh, go over to their website. But we'll get stuck straight into the into the news now. So uh, we've got a, a beautiful article written here by the lovely Leisha called Ethereum Not a Security, the SEC Confirms, which you can find on altcoinbuzz.io. Please leave her a comment and review below. But I'm going to handball it over to you, Leisha, because you know a lot more about this than I do. So take it away. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, the good news, uh, the SEC has finally made up its uh, mind and specifically William Hinman, who is Director of Corporate Finance at SEC, he has confirmed that Ethereum is not a security and that this was has been going as sort of a, like an on, it's, it's been an ongoing battle and he also confirmed that Bitcoin is not a security either. And he particularly told the audience that he doesn't see a lot of value in treating Ether today as a security, explaining that the fact um, the fact that there is no central figure or group responsible for Ethereum and therefore the assets may not represent an investment contract. And I think this is uh, great news. And I know that some of our subscribers uh, think, like, I don't know, they viewed this as negative news, but in fact, it's, it's really good news for the cryptocurrency guys. And with like, I can just add that, uh, well, there is what's no news so far regarding Ripple, however. So Ripple is currently preparing to defend itself from being classified as securities. And it's, it's very interesting to see how that case will evolve. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think it's very good news. Um, 
we're we're at this point right in terms of where the market stands right now and i i felt that we were sort of collectively holding our breath because there was this potential for a lot of negative news and more fud to hit and uh, to have to have to have to kind of brace that storm from a position of weakness was not something that anybody was looking forward to so this was really encouraging to hear it was a, a breath of fresh air and some very good news because you know if let's say and there's no there's no argument for it in my opinion but if hypothetically they were to come out the SEC and say that ethereum were security it would just mean a lot of regulations it would mean a lot of hamstringing in terms of the market and uh, a lot of oversight you know potentially a lot of bureaucracy so that's not something we needed this was a really great announcement and it comes on the heels of you know Jay Clayton as well talking about Bitcoin not being a security. So it's very positive news. And I feel that based on these comments, so you mentioned Alicia William Hinman, the director of corporate finance at the SEC. You also have a couple of other you know friends in this space, and increasingly it seems like they're proponents of crypto because you have. Jay Clayton, who's the chairman of the SEC, who's come out previously and has said some good things about the technology. The CFTC has said some very, very good things about the technology. They're talking about it as an economic miracle. They're talking about how it's going to proliferate to every country in the world. So you have people like Christopher Giancarlo, who's the chairman of the CFTC. He was in the news a few months back. Uh, I believe it was a Senate hearing with Jay Clayton. So he's now emerging as somebody, you know, along with Jay Clayton, along with William Hinman, you have these individuals that are really doing well for the space. And I think we're at a point where any news that's good news is really, really good news. So I was very, very happy to hear about this and great article covering it, Lisa. You uh, you definitely did a great job. James, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely a positive thing. And for a lot of people out there that don't think this is a positive step, I think you've really got to do a little bit more research into it and understand what crypto is all about and what this technology is all about. The fact that this isn't going to be considered a security it's going to stop a lot of people coming to the party and trying to throw down regulations and control something that really shouldn't be controlled. It goes against the whole fundamental reason why cryptocurrency was created. So the fact that these are, is it the SEC's finally made up their mind about that? This this is going to be a bit of a a bit of breath of fresh air to the community, I believe. And uh, I think it's something that we've all been waiting for. There's been a lot of anticipation on which direction the SEC was going to go about it. The fact that this has happened is going to open the doors a lot more to to innovations happening and a lot more people stepping into it, knowing that this isn't going to be as heavily regulated as the rest of, say, the stock market security sector. What, 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 do, what do you think, Matt? You're a lot more articulate on wording that. So. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think uh, you're <laughs> you give me too much praise, James. I'm not so sure. Pressure's on now. But I agree. It's positive news. I don't really see how you can interpret it uh, any other way. For anything that would be considered a security, it's going to mean, and you alluded to this uh, in in your comments just now, it's going to mean there's going to be a lot more control over it. And it's going to mean there's a lot more oversight. Uh, A lot of strings are going to be attached to that as far as investors are concerned. So transparency becomes an issue. You're going to have to declare, uh, for example, uh, your, your trade history, your trade volume, I'm not an expert in the field, but I know that there would be a lot more in terms of just in terms of involvement and bureaucracy and, and red tape. So if we can you know, avoid all of that by virtue of the fact that Ethereum is now not considered a security, that's a great thing. And that's a positive. And, you know, some of the reasons as to why, well, Hinman pointed at the fact that it's it's just too decentralized. So he said, and as Licia pointed out in the article, there's no central figure. There's no central group that's responsible for Ethereum. 
and quote, the investments, the assets do not represent an investment contract. So the decentralized nature of it, fortunately, precludes Ethereum from being considered a security. It doesn't really line up with those parameters um, that the SEC looks to in the Howey test either as being a classical security. So I, I just see that as I don't see any room for reinterpretation of that as a negative for those people that are of that opinion. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm missing something. Comment below or share your thoughts. But to me, it just means much less red tape, much less bureaucracy uh, and much less oversight and control that the SEC could uh, potentially enact on the part of uh, something like an Ethereum. So it's very good news. Yeah. Licia, have I missed anything? What, what uh, more would you like to add? No, not really. I'm just going to add that, in my opinion, anything that uh, doesn't involve red tape is a big win. I hate bureaucracy. <laughs> That's who, how who likes it to begin with? Yeah, I, I think that uh, the only ones who love bureaucracy are bureaucrats. All right, guys. Well, like we said, it was going to be a short segment today. Uh, obviously, you're all here for the main attraction, the main man himself. Nicholas, Nicholas Merton, a.k.a. Data Dash. So without further ado, let's get stuck into it. Data Dash, how are you doing, sir? Welcome to the Altcoin Buzz podcast. Thank you for having me, James. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great to have you here. I'd like to introduce you to the lovely Leisha and the mad dog, Matthew. Leisha, Matthew, pleasure to meet you guys. Hey, Nick. Thanks for being here. So, so Nick, Data Dash, you've uh, you've done pretty well with your channel, mate. I have to, I have to give you props for that. You've got over, you got a lot of views on your website. So, so tell us about yourself. Uh, how did you get into into crypto? We'd love to hear the story. Definitely, yeah. So I, I try to break it down pretty quick, but I, I appreciate it again for you guys having me on here on the podcast. Um, but generally, my story. I started, uh, my background kind of comes from traditional markets. So I've done about seven years of traditional investing and trading in stocks, bonds, ETFs. I've studied how to uh, trade Forex markets, uh, so exchanging currencies. And I'd spent a lot of time learning about the fundamentals of traditional markets as well, outside of just trading and investing. Uh, and from that, actually, it was ironic because I, I really, at a young age, I really got interested in learning about the monetary system, learning about banking and finance. And from there, I was learning about the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States, and how money's printed and how it's managed. And from there, I happened to find a video back in all the way back in 2011 about uh, Bitcoin. It was a video called What is Bitcoin? And you can still find it on YouTube. It's one of the most highly viewed videos for Bitcoin. But back in the day, it was this uh, animated video that no one knew about because no one knew about Bitcoin. It had like a few thousand views on it. But I watched it and I was I was listening to it and it's like, uh, it was talking about this peer-to-peer -peer digital currency. There was no central authoritator uh, who managed it and it was running on this thing called blockchain and using miners to secure the network and how that's how Bitcoins were generated. And to me, it sounded great because I understood what it meant uh, in the sense of being decentralized. It was the counterintuitive uh, nature of centralization, which which is obviously what I was against in regards to the, uh, the banking system. And I saw how that was valuable for money. Uh, the problem was, though, is that I, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm curious how blockchain works. I don't really get this idea, and I didn't get mining at the time. So because of that, I kind of brushed it off like most people did. And I, I think at the time it was $3 per Bitcoin. So you can probably sense, sense the pain wow. there, like the yeah, the hindsight kicks in. But and I mean, honestly, I, I you know, I, I later on, uh, I kind of pushed it off everything. And from time to time, you know, 
we would uh, I'd hear about Bitcoin and I've been hearing about this the Silk Road and how the price kept going up and then I heard about Mt. Gox and I I heard about you know the price going up you know to a thousand dollars and crashing to two hundred and then over the years uh, I I was getting more and more active in stock trading and I would always check on TradingView and see that uh, Bitcoin's price was going up to four hundred and six hundred just like it did in the past and I was it got to the point basically I think somewhere in like early to mid two thousand sixteen where I saw the price at around like I think a thousand dollars it was towards its highs again and I was like okay I need to look into this like I need to understand this and when I read through the white paper uh, it literally was a slap across the face I read through it about two or three times and I instantly got why it's valued so high and why this was so revolutionary and it, the thing was it, I know this seems kind of corny but it's not so much that I was kind of killing myself in hindsight for not buying Bitcoin. I and mean, you can always do that with any investment, I think, in the stock market as well. But it was the fact that the solution I was looking for in a fundamental sense to traditional money, at least the first step, was there all along. So kind of hit me in that regard. But yeah, from there on, uh, to kind of give the rest of the short summary, I happened to create this channel this this past year. It's actually been less than a year. I started back uh, on, I think, July 15th was when I did my first video. And it wasn't intended to be a cryptocurrency channel, but I'd happened to do a video talking about the price of Bitcoin. And I realized, I think it was my second video, got like 100 views within like the first day or two. So I was like, okay, I need to keep doing content. And I just kept crushing out videos. There was so much to talk about. I'd already been doing a lot of extensive research since 2016, pretty, keeping pretty active in the space, trading a little bit. And uh, yeah, it just kept on growing over the past year. It's been an absolutely fantastic ride so far. Well, you've done incredibly well. You've got a very, uh, very large community behind you. Um, I think that you've been, you've done incredibly well to educate a lot of the the new people coming into the space. You're always popping up on my recommended. You can't go away. You like a bad smell, mate. So, <laughs> so you, you you're definitely out there. You can't deny that you're not you're not all over the space. So we just have to say, well done again. You've done incredibly well. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. I'm I'm happy more than anything just to to be a part of the community because I feel over the past few years I've I've pursued a lot of different things. I've tried a lot of different uh, career choices and uh, taken on a lot of different passions and habits. But uh, it really is exciting to see something on a fundamental sense that could revolutionize more than anything. I think blockchain and decentralization can tap into a lot of industries. But I think more than anything, you know, money needs to be fixed. Money needs to be trustless in a sense. Uh, so I think it was a great first use case. And I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the community that seems to see the same things I do. Okay. Uh, well, Actually, I checked your Twitter, and you said and it said that you were a traditionalist. And is it like you said you're like you said that you were doing some traditional investing before joining the Bitcoin community? Is that why you call yourself a traditionalist? Yeah, a traditionalist stems more from like a value set and everything. So I'm very big on like a lot of like uh, I would say kind of like. Uh, I think it refers more to like Western tradition. Like I want to, for example, when I grow up, I want to raise a family, get married and stuff. It's it's more of a, a few other separate things outside of crypto. But you could definitely associate with my passion for traditional markets as well, because I've always been in like really heavily interested in, uh, for example, like value investing. Uh, when when markets uh, do consider value nowadays, it seems like everything just doesn't care about the fundamentals. Uh, but I do really try to find gem companies that you know people are undervaluing. Take kind of a Warren Buffett approach. Um, outside of that as well, I love just generally studying traditional markets. Commodities markets are fascinating. All kinds of things. But yeah, when it comes to the the traditionalist thing, I think I shared on my Twitter. I haven't checked my Twitter in a long time. <laughs> but yes, yeah, it's, it's responding more to my values and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I just believe in things like that. Yeah. 
I get you. So um, your channel, Dadadash, uh, has done incredibly well over the last 11 months, as James pointed out, with, with over 305,000 uh, subscribers with a collective of 14.9 million views. So what made you like go into the YouTube scene in the first place? Yeah, it's it's funny because I've used YouTube, like I said, for about, I think it's been about 11 years. I, I was toying around with it back in 2007, and I was absolutely fascinated by the concept. But I, I've created lots of channels over the past few years. They're all gone now. They never really took off or anything. They didn't have any traction. So uh, I tried all kinds of different things. When I was really young, I used to do gaming channels. Uh, I used to do videos with my, my friend Will and stuff when we were growing up. We did all kinds of little comedy videos. Uh, but it just got to the point where... Um, I was uh, I was exiting out of college. I, I was leaving my university. I went to Virginia Commonwealth University. I was doing a, a double major in business with a concentration in finance. And I was doing fine. I, I had a 3.5 GPA out of four. I made the dean's list. Like, I was doing good in college and uh, wrapped up a good first year. But I realized, I was like, man, you know, I'm not like really enjoying this. I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars. I think it's the same position a lot of people find themselves in the United yeah. States. So... I just felt like I, I wasn't getting any experience from it. So I, I left university and I happened to, or before I decided to leave university, I got accepted into a program. It's an alternative education program called Praxis. And Praxis basically, um, it's an online school where you connect with um, mentors and other students who are in the Praxis program. And after three months of preparation uh, through online education and building up a portfolio and skill set, you get to work with a startup that partners with Praxis and you work with them for six months and if they like you, you go on for a full year. And that was something that really excited me. Uh, I didn't believe it at first, but I looked up reviews. It was real and I luckily got accepted. Uh, and through that, I was basically able to get an internship in California. But the first uh, thing I did actually uh, was what's known as a PDP. Each month you have to do something known as a personal development project. And my um, my career focus I was going to do was data analytics because it was a good mix between the uh, the data heavy side of finance, but also applying it to business trends. So I was really interested in doing that as a career path. And the first uh, personal development project I did uh, was a project on uh, SQL and data analytics, the language you use to query for data and databases uh, and learning how to actually make use of it. And from there, if you actually go back to uh, Datadash, my channel, you'll actually find that the first ever videos I have on there are that series. I still have it up there because uh, it's, it's kind of my humble beginnings in a sense. But uh, uh, if you go through there, like I talk about SQL and all these things. And from there, I realized, I was like, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to showcase this to employers, like, you know, I don't want to just have uh, an SQL and data analytics tutorial. It's going to look like I'm just doing this for a career. I really do like this stuff. So why don't I go ahead and showcase it in something that's, uh, you know, realistic, that's uh, uh, applicable to what I'm talking about. Why don't I talk about uh, cryptocurrencies and the current price action and do price analysis? And that's exactly what I did for Bitcoin and a few other cryptocurrencies and the news that was going on and just kind of digesting and trying to spot trends. And from there, I mean, it really started to turn very quickly from trying to build a uh, YouTube page for a potential job in the future into building mm -hmm. this YouTube career for cryptocurrencies, which really was at a core a passion of mine, but I never knew people would want to listen to me talk about it. Well, you've certainly done incredibly well, and uh, I suppose this is the this is the future. No one's doing those old Word document resumes anymore. It's just, we're going to create a YouTube <laughs> channel, get a lot of popular views, and then we're walking going, look, I'm a YouTube personality, I want the job. So if you want to see what my intelligence and my knowledge is, at least you've got video proof of it, especially if it's getting uh, accredited by, you know, and when I say accredited, I'm 
there's a lot of people that look at it, a lot of people that are agreeing with it. You know, you're not just getting going on and just spousing a whole bunch of rubbish. You're actually quite intelligent with the way that you word things. You're very, like you said, analytical. And I think that that's helped. That's definitely helped in your in your popularity because you're not just coming across as a weekend warrior, if that makes sense. You know, this is what yeah. you live, live and breathe. And I think that, that that comes through when everyone listens. Thank you, James. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I love about YouTube. I mean, it's 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 why I like podcasts like this, any kind of thing where you have someone on the spot, you get to talk. And uh, for me, that's so much better than trying to, you know, write up a resume. Like, the, that's the thing about Praxis that was so cool is they – they were always pushing the idea of like, it's not about just having a fancy resume. We want you to have projects showcase that you actually, you know, not only know about what you're talking about, hopefully they'd expect you to know about it, but as employers, but they want to see that you're passionate about it and you can be creative and, you know, you can really apply this to real world examples. So like, for example, if you were a developer or an aspiring developer going into practice, they want you to build small projects, like build little programs or pieces of software that you can showcase or a website, you know? So that's, I think that mindset is so true in this day and age. People want to see that you can provide value of some sort and that you're actually passionate behind that value. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate James. Yeah, that's really the big thing about the channel is I, I want to showcase to people not only that I love crypto, but I love it for the fundamental reasons. I mean, there's a great market, obviously, to trade and invest in. And I think we'll all do very well in the long term. But I'm just so excited to see this take off long term. And I think it's uh, great that James brought up this point because, like, you know, so many resumes out there, so many cover letters are just filled with self-lettering stuff. Like, all you know, I'm, Times New Romans, yeah. bloody font. <laughs> it can be so isolating (laughs) yeah and um it's great that there is actually some proof of what uh, one can do like you know not just uh, i mean it's uh it's a good example to follow i would say so think matt absolutely i think that's a really inspiring backstory nick and i mean i i didn't know all of your details and you know like your entire life history obviously but that's inspiring and look i'm not saying that to uh, blow sunshine up your rear end but i think a lot of people can relate to that this idea of a personal development project i think that's really the antidote that a lot of people are yearning for these days because you know the 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 zeitgeist out there among the millennials among people that you know you hinted at the idea of going into college debt it's a very very expensive endeavor these days as many of us know and you're kind of going through it in some cases in autopilot people come out of that disillusioned and they're not necessarily following their passion. They're not necessarily building up a resume of projects or something that they can point to. It's just kind of this default on rails option. And I think it's, it's really important, like you said, to, to have, and I'm similar in the sense that I've always tried to accrue experience in different, really unrelated sectors in a sense. And I have my interest here and I have a side hustle there and I have this career path and I have that hobby. And uh, I'm really relating to what you're expressing here and what you're, you know, what you're talking about as far as your experience. And I think it resonates also with a lot of other people. So it's just a really interesting perspective that you've just described. And I think many others could also benefit. Maybe if you're listening, it doesn't have to be exactly the organization that you worked with, but the idea of that personal development project, just that mentality, that, that proactiveness. It's uh, it's encouraging, my man. I got to say, it's uh, it's great to hear that that's your perspective. And obviously it's paid off. 
Well, thank you, Matthew. I mean, you hit the nail on the head in the sense that I think people are yearning for this. I saw it at university when I was, the differences between university and praxis were stark. And I I don't want to go on a rant about college, but (laughs) I will say that, uh, you know, during my time at college, I just saw a lot of people kind of lost and they were, they were looking for something that they weren't finding in their academia, which they're obviously paying thousands of dollars for. And you, you can learn a lot of great things in college. If you really make use of your education, it can be a great way to provide structured education. And with that, you can go out and use it as you please. Uh, But the issue is that the only thing that's really going to prepare you for the real world is real world experience. I mean, that is it's at its core. It's the major thing that's going to prepare you to actually take the things you learn, whether they be skills or whether they be knowledge and applying that in a creative manner in the workplace. And what I love about Praxis is they understand that. They understand that you're only going to impress an employer not with a resume, not with a degree. It does. It's not enough nowadays. They want to possibly see that, but more than anything, they want to see that, look, if I'm going to employ you as an employer on a business sense, I need to know that you're going to provide me more value than what I'm paying you. And that's, that's the truth of free markets is that you need to have enough value behind you before any employer is going to pay you a certain salary. And uh, also as well, they want someone who's charismatic, someone who's fun to work with. And you can show all of that, not through a resume, through, but through what you can provide and through your past and your, uh, you know, the reputation that you build up. So I think, uh, man, yeah, I, I've just seen so many people end up in thousands of dollars of debt and just completely lost. And people come out changed through college and everything. I'd like to see people come out thriving and people not wasting tens of thousands. Praxis is actually, I think it was really oh, cheap. Yes. I only paid, yeah, I think it was like $12,000 for the whole program. And you get an internship as well. So you actually, the income you make from the internship pays down uh, the cost of Praxis Plus. You make like a few thousand at the end of it. So it's pretty cool. Bloody oath. You know, I, I, I respect those values as much as I, I think that you do. And don't get me wrong. If you want to be a surgeon, you want to be a doctor, you want to go into certain specialized fields, of course, university is where you need to be. But I believe there's a lot of university courses out there that are courses for the sake of being courses. And if anybody out there that's listening right now, before you go and sink tens of thousands of dollars into a course that you you don't know whether you want to do, make sure that it's actually got an end goal. For instance, uh, liberal arts apparently last year was the number one enrolled course. I don't know a single job that requires you to have a liberal (laughs) arts degree, but people are forking out 50 grand for these courses to learn what what possible crap are you going to take into the real world so i believe in what you're saying in in regards to you you know you've got to go out there you've got to get into the trenches you've got to get your boots on the ground and actually you know really get into it i can read a book on how to become an athletic swimmer doesn't mean i can bloody swim you know what i mean you've got to get in the water get your feet wet and actually do the hard yucca before you you know you can say that you're worth any value yeah i could could give you a a great data point james because yeah i trust me i'm the same way on it and stuff i don't mean to be too opinionated with it but i I completely i get where you're coming from man i'll give you a good data point here so we had uh this really cool course this is one of my favorites actually it was a one credit course out of I don't know why it should have been more, I think, is basically where you got to have these great speakers come in and uh, they were usually business entrepreneurs, things like that. Um, But I'm based in the state of Virginia and they were working uh, or at the time when I was at university and they basically at my university had this course uh, called NO200 and you had these people come in and they spoke and I had a guy uh, who was pushing a computer science initiative in our state and the first thing he brought up in his slideshow he says, I'm going to hit you with the reality here. He pulls up a slide on the screen and I wish I had a photo of it where he showed all of the major categories of, of studies in university and the jobs next to it. 
And the only field that actually had more jobs than majors uh, who were going to graduate that year was computer science. And then he pointed all the way to the other side where they had social sciences, or it was social sciences or social uh, studies in a sense. And that has things obviously from a range of like psychology to all types of controversial majors and stuff. And they had around 300,000 people who were going to be graduating that, that year alone. And only 30,000 positions open for that, most of which were internships, most of which were not paid, most of which were government, not private enterprise. And it shows you that you're really, I think it's almost kind of insulting in the United States. You know, we talk about where there's necessary government regulation. I think that no government should, just like any predatory lenders, should not be lending out 50 grand, if not more, to students in this country uh, after being told the lie that this is going to provide them income prosperity when they walk out of it. Um, now, if you've got a hundred grand to blow and you don't care about losing that money, fine. If it's your money, going ahead and spend it on whatever study you want to, if you really feel it's going to provide value. But to people who are in dire poverty and are taking out loans and actually don't have that money, I mean, that's just insulting. And I think it's the, the campus professors and the university officials. I mean, they're, I think they're all behind it in a sense. I think they don't mind it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just absolutely, I think it's a waste. It's unproductive. And it steals the creativity and the happiness, I think, out of so many students who are aspiring at university. Guys, I just have to add here because, I mean, I did social studies Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, there were many people, um, I mean, I, before going to Sweden, because I studied in Sweden, I won a scholarship. So, I mean, I didn't have to pay 20,000 euros for my education, but mm -hmm. I just imagined for a second what would have happened if I needed to pay that money. I mean, by the end of that master's program, I was so pissed off. We were just chatting, like, you know, chatting. We, didn't, we were not doing anything practical whatsoever. And I imagined what would have happened if I actually paid 20000 for this. That would be such a waste. Yeah. <laughs> that would be like I, I think, insane. Insane. Yeah. And so, uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, just going to end this uh, saying that there were other even more vague degrees out there, like political geography and something like gender studies. I collectively call them the unemployment studies. Because, <laughs> yeah, because people cannot find a job after completing that. Uh, but I also noticed, like, you know, um, to wrap up this conversation, that before you said that you're a traditionalist, but when it comes to traditional education, you basically discarded a little contradiction. Yeah, I mean, a traditional. The thing about traditionalism is it can be such a broad term. Like I said, when I when I put it in my, I guess in my tweet bond stuff, it's usually just a like I hold a lot of like traditional values very high and stuff. Traditional education, it's outdated. It needs to be updated. That's I completely. Agree. And I appreciate that you have that opinion as someone who's actually been in the field because uh, it's it's very rare that many people spot like the it, like especially I mean it's nice that you had an opportunity to do it for free but th that you spotted that at university there's just it, it's not a perfect system it's got some perks to it like uh, like James was saying I think there's a lot of great specialized fields you can go into and I don't want to derail it because Praxis what I did couldn't get you to become a doctor or a scientist or a, uh, you know some some of the very high end fields like a lawyer of that sorts but uh, yeah I think it's I think there's room for it, especially people who are getting business degrees and who want to get into sales and marketing. There's just so much room for it. But yeah, in the sense of, uh, you know, just seeing different alternative routes, I'm really excited to see over the next few years. Hopefully, we'll get more with online education. Uh, we'll you know, have other alternatives to college. We're going to have to do it eventually because we can't keep fueling the, the debt crisis that's behind it and stuff, especially in the States.
Now a quick word about our amazing sponsor, Cold Storage Coins. You can now store your cryptocurrencies on actual cold coins made of fine copper, silver, or gold. Each coin features a unique wallet ID and laser-etched private key, which is concealed beneath a tamper-evident holographic film. You simply scan the QR code on the back in order to transfer your funds to the coin. There's no hardware associated with these wallets, and they are hack and fireproof. This is a very fun, safe, and inexpensive way to store cryptocurrencies. Please visit coldstoragecoins.com for more and use our code BUZZ10, all capital letters, for a 10% discount. Now back to the podcast. Great points, Nick. And uh, I certainly agree with you on, uh, well, all of them. Yeah, there are uh, some interesting uh, insights that you have there. <laughs> and I think students, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you're studying something that's, that's very artsy or you're a hardcore STEM graduate or PhD, what have you. I think people have to realize during their studies that your worth in the eyes of a future employer is going to be commensurate with the value that you bring to the table and to the organization. That's a that's sometimes a little bit of a, a switch that people have to flick once they're in the job market, once they're in that free market structure that you talked about. To that uh-huh. end, you have a very strong portfolio. You've obviously built up something that's based on a passion, that's based on your collective experience, and you're applying that in a creative manner, which is great. So bring it back to your channel, if you could, for us. You have these three distinct mm-hmm. categories, right, that, that we've identified sort of in terms of themes. You talk about beginner knowledge. So you guide three people through things like creating accounts. You talk about crypto projections and you talk about news in that space. So I don't know, is is that correct to assume that you followed that path and that's what's brought you to those particular categories? And we're just curious about how you feel they impact your popularity, which ones work best for you, which ones do you enjoy doing and why? Yeah, I mean, I think that was a that's a great analysis of I think really the three key points, whether I've intended to hit them or not and stuff. That's that's generally what my videos are. I think my biggest pieces of content have always been like my uh, not only my uh, how to create a five hundred dollar crypto portfolio. I think that's my biggest one, but the other one as well is uh, trading cryptocurrencies for beginners. And I'm very happy to know that in the sense that uh, when people are getting into trading crypto, that they actually want to learn how to do it properly. So I was more than happy to provide the free content for it and stuff and just kind of help people get a, a sense of guidance into it. Because to be fair, I know that in traditional markets, most people who will get into trading are going to fail. And that's a, that's a very kind of hard hitting thing. And it makes me think, man, I really need to do a good job on this. For people who want to learn, I need to do them right. And I need to actually pro- uh, provide good content to them. So yeah, I love doing any kind of beginner content uh, crypto analysis in the sense of like technical analysis, fundamental analysis, that's something I love doing as well. I love finding real hidden gems. I don't like, I mean, I've, I've started to, for example, get a little bit involved uh, in looking at what's happening in the ICO space and seeing all the craziness that's been going on. And there's so much hype and there's so much fluff. And that's just in general with crypto. But for me, I try to find projects that have the excitement around it, but actually have good fundamentals and could actually last long term. So I really focus on like exciting protocols, like enterprise platforms that are coming out to compete with Ethereum. And along with that as well, I'm really interested in competing peer-to-peer digital cash uh, plays in the market and everything. So definitely look for those as well. And then um, what was the third category that you had as well? I'm uh, sorry, my short-term memory kicked in. Just kind of general news and, and, uh, and updates. Oh, yes. I mean, I thought you had a great bit on uh, Twitter, actually, and you've covered it elsewhere, but just your perspective and uh, opinionated news is fine, I think, in this space. Right. But your perspective, for example, on the coin rail hack was was spot on. You know, just the fact that it, it was so far out of proportion with the actual movement that we saw in uh, the market. Yeah. 
this little itsy bitsy, you know, $40 million hack, well, fine, that's still a lot of money, but it's a two to $3 million by volume daily exchange. And uh, to have a thousand fold sort of movement retracement in the market as a result of that. So just those little, you know, that's a combination of news. That's a combination of your, your analytical perspective, your opinion. I think people appreciate that. And that must be, you know, one of the, uh, the strengths as far as your, your audience views it. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. I mean, that's, that's something that I always try to kind of knock into people's heads is because, you know, with markets, it's key to understand that fundamentals don't always matter, but eventually they will matter at some point. And the fact of the matter is, is, you know, you just see so much, I think you see so much talk, you see so much noise in the crypto space, and it's kind of hard to avoid that because it's such a new space and there's so much going on. I mean, like you mentioned, you know, X, which was the coin that got hacked off CoinRail, is one of 1,600 cryptocurrencies. You know, to break down all of that, you need someone who's in it 24-7. And I think, uh, you know, that's what channels like your guys' channel provides and uh, hopefully my channel as well when I provide the news and everything. And I, I like to just kind of digest it, bringing it, bringing it into like a 15 to 30 minute video and try to compress it and really help people understand what's going on from what I can analyze. I'm not perfect. I'm just a, I'm a one-man army in the sense of my channel, but uh, it is definitely, it's, it's just absolutely disproportional to the fundamentals sometimes. And that's that's the first thing you got to understand about markets is it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy ride sometimes that doesn't make sense, that isn't going to speak towards fundamentals at all. And that's why I try to kind of digest it through the news so people don't get caught up in the FUD of the price action in the news. I think you're absolutely right, Nick. I mean, it's it's um, we can we can be analyzing all day, and you get into this uh, paralysis by analysis sort of complex. These markets <laughs> are infuriating sometimes, you know, because you have all the greatest institutional news in the world. It doesn't add up to squat. Uh, you have these little blips on the radar that then sends everything into a tailspin. So you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's one thing, and you you know you can have these longer term um, a sense of enthusiasm, for example, your expectations with the market. But we're, we are dealing in an irrational space, and I think that's where your your own subjective, for example, interpretation of the news really is valuable because that uh, that does make a difference when dealing with these markets that that don't quite act according to the economic laws that we'd like to see. But what can you do? Exactly. I think the big thing that people need to understand, and this uh, this goes towards a wider topic as well, you know, with crypto and its valuation fluctuation. People uh, talk about crypto versus saying like, uh, say, like precious metals, for example, and they they talk about is it store value, is it this and that, and uh, you know what what about crypto? Like, why are we seeing people, for example, investing in cryptocurrencies but not really using them? I mean, we can be fair about that. My whole channel, for example, is talking about. Uh, not, not generally how to invest or how to trade in any specific currency, but it talks about the general theme of that uh, in, in that space. And the reason why is because we, we all realize that this is a very early market. Um, the thing about crypto, right. as much as it's gone through some serious gains, I really take it from a, a trend perspective in, in the long term of things. And I look at it, and right now, for example, I think we're at 200 something billion dollars, I think the upper, I think $280 billion last time I checked for total valuation of cryptocurrencies. But what people don't realize, I think, is that uh, if you take a look at traditional fiat markets, traditional fiat currencies, so the dollar, uh, the Chinese yuan, uh, uh, sorry, the Chinese yuan, the Japanese yen, the euro, the pound, if you take all those fiat currencies across the world, we get a total valuation of 84 trillion U.S. dollars. So that basically means that the entire world is communicating value amongst one another with either worthless pieces of papers that simply have a government backing it or numbers in a database of some centralized bank or central bank. 
that to me doesn't seem like a really sound way for money. And that's a lot of phony valuation that could go towards an entirely new movement that, you know, we have to think about this in an investor perspective. You think about the big banks and everything and Wall Street. I mean, who wouldn't want to invest in an emerging currency market that in many cases, the currency is immutable. It is great for remittance payments, cross-border payments. It can be sent faster, uh, confirmed faster. It can be uh, sent for a lower fee than most uh, commercial bank transactions. Uh, you know, you go to a store and you purchase something, the credit card company is going to charge 2 or 3%. A real, uh, uh, you know, for some kind of retail store, they would love to pay no fee or a minimal fee, one cent on a transaction. And you can get that with a lot of cryptos. I mean, just think about how revolutionary that is, the censorship resistance tied to it, and the fact that you can do business with anyone. I think people are going to realize that it's going to become much more easier to use over the next few years. And it's going to first off be an asset class. It's going to be something that people invest in. But once it becomes a well-formed trillion dollar market, you cut down the volatility. It becomes more well-formed. More people own cryptocurrency. And then I think you're going to have a catalyst that pushes us to actually using cryptocurrency as a payment solution, whether that's a currency crisis or something along that line, I don't really know. I think people have different opinions on it, but I think there's going to be something that drives us towards having to use crypto. And we're going to really realize why we need crypto, especially in this world that's gotten so large and so global in a sense when it comes to business. I couldn't agree with you more there, Nick. And um my, my personal belief in, uh, in this is I think there's a lot of people that have got emotionally attached to the cryptocurrency. Like the people who bought cryptocurrency way back when, you know, you're talking about 2010, 2011, when you first saw on Bitcoin, what they bought back then and what it is today, they wouldn't care. They're, they're laughing all the way to the bank. But the people who bought crypto, which was a very big portion of the community right now um, that, that came into it around the December mark when Bitcoin was up at 20 grand. It's now dropped so far down. Like I'm, I'm on the market at the moment. Bitcoin's currently sitting at $6,461.64. If you had bought, say, a Bitcoin or two Bitcoin back in December and you, you spent close to, you know, either 40 grand, 20 to 40 grand and now it's gone down to six and a half thousand. I think there's that... Well, I've got to wait until it goes back up, so I'm not going to touch it. And then that puts a whole spin on every other cryptocurrency under the sun that was bought at a, a, on the all-time highs. And I think that's what's kind of making it slow down at the moment because no one wants to bite the bullet. No one wants to, to take that plunge and go, you know what, it's down at the moment, but we need to spend it for it to grow. Um, because yeah. at the moment, I think a lot of people there, there's a lot of people disheartened and they go, right, it went from 20 grand to four grand up to 15 grand. I think then down to 12, then back up to 13. It's now dropped just down below 6,500 and they've gone, you know what? It's not going to go back and they're pulling out. And so it's just going lower and lower day by day. But like you said, it's going to take something like an emergency or a humanitarian event or God knows what for people to go, right, we need to bite the bullet, do what we can now, move on. Yes, we made a bit of a loss now, but it's to help, you know, lose a few to save a thousand, you know what I mean? So I think exactly. I think that's what needs to happen. I agree. It has to either be an emergency, some form of crisis or uh, who knows what, but something needs to make the move. Yeah, exactly. It's when demand comes in. I guess a, a crisis is what it will bring us all together to get us adopting crypto. That that'll be nice. But yeah, I mean the the whole thing about it is uh, you're you're absolutely right. There's a there's an issue right now that no one wants to bite the bullet, especially on you know in the sense of price. For example, um, we don't seem to have a lot of buyers coming in the market. It might it would seem like that on the surface because what we all see, you know, for example, when you were taking a look at Coin Market Cap, and you know that's generally what we're all looking at: Coin Market Cap, Trading View, all these things where we can find price. 
the funny thing is that we we don't see the real volume going on in, in regards to crypto because the big uh, well the little known secret that I think people are starting to realize because they've heard other people talking about it. I've been starting to talk about it on my channel I'll do a video on it in the next uh, few weeks but people don't realize uh, that we're actually seeing some of the highest levels in crypto volume that we've ever seen. It's just not happening on the exchanges. It's happening off exchange in the OTC markets and uh, or, or what stands for over the counter where basically people are trading it off exchange and they're finding mutual third parties that meet the transaction. So I, I won't name any names or anything. I don't know all that's going on in the OTC market because it's over the counter. It's, it's There's no centralized place that it all happens. But a good analogy uh, or a good way to visualize it is that the largest exchange in the world is Telegram. It's people meeting on Telegram, messaging one another. And I mean, I'm talking $100 million, if not billion dollar block orders. I want to buy 50,000 wow. Bitcoin in stat. We have a, like, you know, we have this fund that wants to buy in. We have this, you know, this family, whatever it is. They want to buy this Bitcoin. We need a matching cash order. Like, here's the fee we'll pay. You know, it's just absolutely insane. There is this huge underground. It's Now, it's all, in, from what I know, I'm assuming it's legal in most cases. It's just the fact that it's not happening on Bitfinex or it's not happening on Coinbase. We're just not seeing that volume because the those larger buyers, if they go on exchange and they buy that or they try to sell that amount of Bitcoin, it's going to clear through the order book. They're not going to get a fair price. It might actually be detrimental, especially it would have been detrimental during the sell-off. But um, it, if we saw that kind of volume, the buy side volume coming in, I think prices would be much, much more different in the market. And I think, I, I think it's just sad because people can't see that unless it's covered. So that's something I, I really want to cover next on uh, – I do my crypto uncovered series where I'll do like a video each month that really dives deep into areas that people don't know about. And we're going to be doing a video on that. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. So you're it. going down the rabbit hole there, Neo. <laughs> yeah, going down the, the, the twilight <laughs> rabbit hole. Everyone's it's I'm going to give the deep, the deep dark side to crypto and everything. That's what I try to do is because, uh, you know, I, I'm someone who I love. I love crypto. I love everything. But I understand that there's always a side to finance, no matter what area of finance it is that people aren't seeing, that people aren't focusing on. And I hope from the knowledge that I have that I can help hopefully bring that to people and everything, give them a little bit of a picture of it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I agree with all of you guys, and especially the fact that like the market is rational. I mean, like people are people are just rational, right? <laughs> they, they don't know why they're buying one shampoo, which is pretty much uh, the same as the other shampoo. But it's like, you know... <laughs> It's uh, it kind of has the same logic to it. And I also think that, like uh, you mentioned, fiat currencies. I think lots of people uh, still feel like cryptocurrency is something which is non-existent, whereas fiat currency is something which grows on trees. It's, it's all about perception a little bit. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I agree. I think the thing right now that people uh, people are really, uh, for example, in the West here, and you could say in Australia, or you could say in the US or Canada or Europe, you know, a lot of people are puzzled. They're like, wow, this, this, they're kind of in their bubble. They're like, cryptocurrencies are so great. Why isn't the whole world using it? Why don't I go down to, you know, Walmart and see people using Bitcoin and Litecoin? Uh, the thing about it that people, I think, don't realize is that there's two things to realize. One, cryptocurrencies are at this point, at least in the peer-to-peer -peer digital cash sense, are not as good as they need to be for mainstream use. There's a few things that need to be improved. Um, and I, I hope to see a currency over the next few years. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna try and build one over the next few years, not doing any current ICO or anything, but I wanna self-fund a project that could be that peer-to-peer -peer digital currency in the future. But there's, there's a lot of things you can improve on top of Bitcoin and other currencies. Uh, the other thing as well is that to be fair, one thing that we have to be honest about is that Bitcoin itself and cryptocurrencies weren't 
precisely built. They are built for everyone in the world, but they're, what they uh, fix is something that is not affecting the West just yet. We have, uh, in some ways, an unstable banking system from time to time. I think 2008 was really the big last kahuna that we had. But outside of that, you know, we've had a pretty stable, convenient banking system. I can go swipe a card anywhere. I can go do to commerce at pretty much any store, and it's fine. And my dollar holds a pretty strong value compared to most other paper currencies in the world. But in the case yeah. of somewhere like Zimbabwe or in Venezuela, where you have either hyperinflation or you have uh, political instability, and you don't have a stable currency uh, that doesn't store value, that's what a currency should do. Uh, but in most cases, we find that fiat currencies eventually hit a point where they can't because it's just the flaws of monetary policy and how banks run currencies that inevitably it will happen. And you're seeing it again in those countries and much more where Bitcoin's volatility which is pretty much one of the bigger concerns that people have. Oh, it's not an issue. It's it's a lot less volatile than the other currencies. And in fact, man, this Bitcoin thing doubled or tripled last week. So I'm three times richer than what I was last week uh, compared to in dollars. So, you know, that's the whole thing about it is that um, people are using it uh, in areas where they really need it. And like I said, that's what's going to bring people to using crypto. When we feel that pain in the West, when things get bad enough for us, when we get screwed over enough, I think we're going to realize, oh, maybe it is good to own our own money and take that responsibility of becoming our own bank and not putting that trust in third-party hands. If anything, removing uh, our, our our activity, our economic trust and activity away from a centralized currency. You can still have people who manage your money, but just not have a central bank that creates that currency. Yeah, I agree. And like you mentioned, uh, Zimbabwe and Venezuela, I think we covered these kind of countries in our uh, previous yeah, podcast. The last, broad, the last podcast on Friday. Yeah. I, should have made it, I should have made it to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about how Bitcoin saves lives. James wrote an article which is available on our site, altcoin dot, uh, altcoinbuzz.io. And uh, it's true. I mean, like people are using Bitcoin to sort of survive. And uh, that was Uganda, right, James? Uganda, yeah. So Richard Bagarogo, uh, in case you didn't read the article, Nick, was... Uh, there's a gentleman in Uganda who's created a community, and you, you can't make this up. It's called the Gospel of Bitcoin. The, uh, <laughs> the guy, the guy in 18 months managed to make a 10-year salary in 18 months. I don't know if you know this, but the average salary in Uganda, this is going to blow you away, is $87.21 a year. I don't doubt it for a second. And the central bank told them not to invest in Bitcoin because it's risky. What would you rather do? You're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Either take a punt <laughs> and uh, take a punt and possibly, you know, make a 10-year salary in 18 months or go, you know what, I like eating dirt every day because that's what $87 yep. is going to get you. So like Matt said, you know, when uh, when central banks are so against it, telling people, you know, I know our system's completely screwed and you're all dying, but trust us, we're better than an unknown. It, it brings up kind of red flags. Oh, absolutely. And you're dealing, especially in those nations, you're dealing with very corrupt governments. Uh, and it's really, really, it's it, it's kind of invigorating in a sense, because uh, if you learn about the whole kind of history of finance, especially during uh, global globalization and expansion over the past few years, this is where my, my hatred for banks show in this sense. Um, they were able to put a lot of people in power who didn't care about their citizens. And they were granted that they would be given power and continue uh, holding their power in governments. They get support for their political elections, whatever it may be, um, if they were to cater to the traditional system of finance. And people wonder, you know, why people, for example, in Uganda, 
or in Zimbabwe or in any nation in the world where there's still start, you know, just absolute dire poverty. People are starving. People aren't able to get clean drinking water. Why haven't they moved up? Why haven't they industrialized? It all has to do with their currency. Um, their income, their wages are so low because they can't move higher because their currencies are either hyperinflating or their governments won't allow it. And because of that, it has literally left all these nations in the world in a, a position where they can't move up. Their resources are being taken from them uh, due to abuse through monetary policy. So like, uh, for example, I, I always talk a lot um, from time to time on my live streams about the IMF and the World Bank. And there's a great documentary by John Pilger. He's he's studied this stuff uh, for years and everything. And he did a documentary back in the 90s where he was going to uh, the Philippines, which I actually got to recently visit to. And it is it just you have to watch it. If you look up John Pilger, IMF and World Bank, you'll find the documentary. It's about 50 something minutes. And you just see the kind of poverty that's there. And it's still I, I saw it in the Philippines. It's industrialized a little bit more, but it's still being held back because of failed currency policies. And people realize it there. It's like I said, in the West, we'll feel it eventually if it gets bad enough and we'll switch to crypto. They're going to push our buttons too much. You know, it's the same as any kind of product or service. Now that crypto's here. You can't stop it if someone wants to adopt it. You can say it's illegal, but like in that case, you know, people are going to go about doing it, and it'll get to where it's so large that if a lot of people are using it, and a government says no, you can't say you can't use that, it's going to look so laughable in their eyes that they just completely ignore the supposed enforcement that the government has, you know. And then you lose the military power because you can't make payments with your fiat currency to the uh, to the soldiers, you know. So they'll uh, they'll disband. <laughs> There's no no one to enforce it. Yeah, but that that reminds me of when the Egyptian government cut off the entire country's internet, and they found a backdoor through using the old copper lines. I believe the group Anonymous actually got involved, and and they helped bring it back. So. When you're trying to shut down something that's a digital asset that's online, yeah, good luck to you. Uh, <laughs> that's all I can say is they didn't think it they didn't think it through very clearly. And I'm just I'm just I gotta say that like you know I Ukraine has banned uh, lots of Russian sites. I don't know like what's the rationale. I mean like I understand what the rationale is behind it, but like everyone just switches on their VPN, and it well okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> It, yeah. <laughs> I always equate yeah. it to like, for example, you know, like it's it's probably not the best comparison with crypto because I don't want to make uh, crypto seem criminal. But um, in the sense of like torrenting, for example, you know, file sharing, uh, to be fair, governments for years have tried to censor this. They've literally gone through every measure they can to try to suppress it. And it was it was through heavy lobby, uh, lobbying in Hollywood and in the media industry. Billions of dollars were spent on this over the past decade and it didn't work. It just didn't work. In fact, they made it worse because they would make all these marketing campaigns saying how illegal it is and how you shouldn't do it. And then people who didn't even know about it learned about it. And they're like, oh, OK, so I can go download this movie I just watched in the movie theater for free. Like, you know, and it, it was something where technology, whether it is convenient or not, whether it is right or not, it will find a way around it. I think in the sense of crypto, this is what money was meant to be. It's just waiting for not only the digital age to come into fruition, but also the catalyst for it. We, we're going to learn why we need to manage our money eventually. And I think you, you know the thing you were mentioning, uh, James, earlier with some uh, sorry, not Zimbabwe, Uganda, 
and uh, as well as you guys were talking about Egypt and Ukraine and stuff, governments will try to enforce as much as they can, and they'll be able to keep some people down. Uh, but eventually, enough people will start to pick something up, and then it starts to really pick up the pace, and then you get the S curve of adoption, and you can't stop it at that point. It's it's. I think cryptocurrencies are going to bring a whole bunch of wealth and freedom to a lot of people who've never really experienced or understood it. Yeah, exactly what we said in our podcast last week was. While there's a lot of people out there that are investing because they want their Lambo next week, there's people in Uganda and Zimbabwe and, and the Philippines and all over the world who just want the opportunity to live a life that you and I and everyone else you know, in the Western world live every day for granted, you know, that we, we don't think about. We wake up every morning, we've got fresh water in our taps, you know, we can have a shower, have a hot meal. These people just want the same thing. And unfortunately, their country's uh, currency, especially when you've got hyperinflation and the money maintains no value whatsoever, they don't get that opportunity. And no one get no one chooses what life they're born into. No one chooses... You know, I don't remember, you know, before I was born, check off the box. Oh, should I be born as Australian? Hell yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I don't remember filling out that box. I think I must have mischecked the box or something because I was, I, I love Australians. That's like one of, <laughs> one of my favorite, Australia is one of my favorite places. I, I had such a great time in Sydney and, uh, and Melbourne and stuff when I visited on my world tour back in January. I'd wanted to go there for years. And it's like everyone in the Australian community is probably, I think the Australian community is probably the best on the trip. Uh, no hard feelings to all the other people I met. We had some great people in like Switzerland and all these other places and uh but yeah no i no, absolutely love them. Hope, yeah 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 i know yeah I, yeah i know yeah they're not australian australians are just there's something else they're, they're the best people I've, i think i've ever met and stuff like honestly great group of people it's really cool to see how everyone's uh huge on crypto out there as well but that's a, a side tangent and stuff but yeah anyways yeah i think it's it's going to lead uh i think towards one of the not only one of the greatest wealth transfers we've ever seen uh in history because it's going to remove uh, most debt-based currencies in the world but we're going to finally really understand you know the, the responsibility i think of managing money because that's one thing we have to keep in mind with crypto is you are managing your own money you know like you, when you hear about these hacks and everything it's because people it's not the technology in most cases it's because people aren't realizing that you know they have to learn it the hard way that they're managing their own money uh so i think it provides the framework you just got to learn how to do it safely securely and ask you know do the benefits of me managing managing my own money and the risk that comes with it outweigh uh, the convenience of having central banks that manage monetary policy, manage my money, you know, all these kinds of things. I think that's the real question we're going to have to ask stepping into the 21st century. And I think we left Matthew out a little bit. Are you still with <laughs> us? <laughs> I'm, I'm hesitant to go down a rabbit hole because there's so much here that I agree with. And I mean, even outside of the worst case scenarios, even outside of those hyperinflationary situations or even, you know, low employment situations like we're, we've been talking about in Uganda, I'm totally in agreement with everything that's been said. Uh, and, and crypto to me by its, by its inherent architecture is better than the best case scenario, monetary and fiscal policies, because everything that we've been experimenting here, right in, let's call them the modern times has been based on this fractional reserve banking system which is absolutely broken at its core. It's inflationary by design. It's inherently yeah. debt-based by its underlying architecture. So you have the best countries in the world, right, for argument's sake, like the United States. How, how far has the value of the US dollar dropped since the institution of the Fed in 1913? <laughs> it's in the yeah. high 90 percentages, okay? 
Uh, and that's your best case scenario. You contrast that against this revolutionary, this genius idea that is cryptocurrency that has fixed circulating supplies that cannot hyperinflate just based on the underlying mathematics of it. So that's my contention. And I, I, this, <laughs> I don't want this to be too much of a tangent here uh, from our going, going away from our discussion. But I think once and, and you I think you nailed it, uh, Nick, once we really are able to solidify it, once it's able to get past that threshold we got to make sure that the security aspect of it is something that is you know not a, not a compromising feature but once we kind of uh, get into the mainstream with some of these ideas once they're more palatable and once people get behind them in sufficient numbers this is a superior system in every aspect in terms of the technology in terms of the financial mathematics and it's just waiting to take over the world what we have now is a broken deficient system and every form of currency. I don't care whether it's the US, I don't care if it's the Russian ruble, I don't care if it's what they're using in Zimbabwe is 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 a disgrace by comparison. I hope Matthew, that's not too opinionated for you guys. Matthew, I got to say you're you're stepping into dangerous territory. You're you're going to get me ranting about banks. <laughs> <laughs> you hear me going for hours. I mean, if you if you oh, want no. me to you know, just... <laughs> Well, feel no, free just... to come back on other podcasts. We'll just get, we'll, we'll just get the trilogy going. <laughs> <laughs> but no i, I think the red pill yeah exactly that i think it, it's the ultimate red pill exactly no i think you're right matthew it's the it's the tech is really i think for the most part the tech's really amazing i mean it, it's crazy to think that since uh 2009 you know if you really think about the inception of bitcoin the first uh, version of bitcoin core came out you can make worldwide secure transactions between peers across a distributed decentralized network trustless and you could send money anywhere across the world in under a few minutes for a penny and have a confirmed transaction. Whereas still today in this world, if I want to send money to someone in Japan or if I want to send money to you know, Australia or somewhere in the, you know, the UK, I have to pay, you know, for example, if I'm doing a remittance payment or something, I'm going to pay $30 for a $100 transaction. And it's going to take me days, weeks. And in some cases, it can, can uh, be contingent to take up to months. It can go on for much longer uh, if there's a, a conflict with the transaction. And it shows you how inefficient even modern-day systems like SWIFT are, all these ba interbank systems that take forever. Uh, now, they have reasons for it, but it just shows you that they don't have good means of consensus. They don't have good means of being able to confirm transactions in a fast manner. And we live in the day and age where... We not only love instant gratification, but we need things instantly. Like we are a fast-moving, uh, you know, time period in history. And the fact that money can't move fast—that is uh, cuts to economic productivity. It's cut it cuts to the stability of uh, companies and business. Uh, and I, I think I mean, it's just one thing with cryptocurrencies. But I think removing any kind of central authoritative, like you mentioned, the having the fixed currency supply. Man, isn't that something new? You know, you can't just keep printing the currency and whatever you want, and That's there's no interest right on there. top. Of it. Yeah, yeah forget I mean, about quantitative easing. It eliminates that uh, basically avenue for corruption or at least that avenue for disruption in the hands of people that are handling the situation with negligence. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that that is going to be, you know, a lot of people are very concerned about like Bitcoin's deflationary system where over time it has a lower rate of uh, um, increase in supply when it reaches towards the cap of 21 million. And I don't think it's it's so much of a worry and stuff. It's just it's making sure you provide the framework where you can execute that value because a store of value, uh, I think Bitcoin in the long term, you know, people will say it's a terrible store of value now. 
you know, store values when they're early on are very volatile. If you take a look at gold, for example, so one thing I always look at, because people always compare Bitcoin to gold, and I think it's a fair comparison in the sense of cryptocurrencies because, um, you know, it is going to become digital gold over the long term, and it could also become peer-to-peer digital currency that the world uses. But if you take a look at gold over the past few decades, you've seen that there's been a reduction in volatility. It was excessively volatile back a few years ago. It's a big misconception uh, to the kind of like, oh, gold is a store of value community. Because if your definition is to retain value, gold has retained value, but it's been very volatile. If if you consider volatility not uh, as a factor of store of value, then you can't consider gold as a store of value, or at least for the majority of its history. Um, but yeah, with cryptocurrencies, I think what we're going to see is this, this forms into being not a uh, $100 billion market, but a double-digit trillion-dollar market like commodities are, you're going to see these remain a lot less volatile to become much more established markets. And then from there, you can use it as a currency once it builds the trust factor and the framework is in, in place and where you can go out and use it for commerce. So I'm excited for that. I, I think, look, it's it's great to make good money on your investment, but we understand that the tech is great. It's just a matter of waiting for it, waiting for it to, to hit that catalyst that's going to take it mainstream and to continue improving it, make it, make an even better use case for it. So I hope to play a role on that in the future somewhere. I'm no developer, but I'd like to help any projects that are trying to do that. So Nicholas, uh, Tell us what your thoughts on what the next six months will be. Will uh, the cryptocurrency rate like go down, or will it have another bull run like we saw back in December? Because currently, like the situation is a little bit worrisome. What would you yeah. say? I hate to I hate to be uh, not not take a side on this. It could go up. It could go down. Uh, <laughs> but the 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 whole thing I'm watching for as as a trader is if for it to hold six thousand because. For me, I've been on the idea for a while that Bitcoin's already gone through its correction. Now, this is a little bit different than where we were because people are steadfast looking at what happened in 2013 because that was the last serious parabolic movement for Bitcoin, 2013 and 2014. Um, and as much as I think it's important to look at historical data, not all market trends are the same. That's a very, very big misconception that everyone always wants to look towards uh, a past cycle and see, oh, we're going to see the exact same percentage decline. We're going to see the exact same uh, chart pattern and everything. Mm. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that we, we don't always see that in markets. You can look at any major index in the stock market, and you'll see that there's very different peaks and different bottoms and different types of patterns getting to those different price ranges. So for me, I think Right now at 6,000, uh, we are very, very close to the bottom. I, I think we're at 6,400, as uh, James was mentioning earlier. So at this moment, I think you're going to, if you can hold above 6,000 and we break through the upper part of um, the uh, line of resistance, we will start to see a trend to the upside. And I've been set on this year, if we get an ETF, a Bitcoin ETF, an exchange-traded fund, basically a financial product that banks could invest in uh, if they wanted to invest in Bitcoin, if you get that this year, you are going to have Bitcoin anywhere from forty to fifty thousand dollars. That alone is going to be the make or break moment. We need more talks of it. We need more. Um, uh, I guess I think you're going to get more speculation once you get uh, an announcement of some sort from the SEC. If the SEC approves a Bitcoin ETF, the price of Bitcoin is going to jump a good one thousand dollars within a day, at least a thousand to a thousand five hundred, wow. because that is going to be the upfront catalyst that oh, okay, we're not going to four or five K, we're going to 40 to 50 K this year because the amount of institutional and retail volume that's going to come in, uh, you know, average investors all the way to big banks, 
that is going to push markets to becoming a well-formed trillion-dollar market. And I'm really excited. I hope that happens. You, you need, I guess, in a sense, the financial maturity of an industry to really take off in the long term. And as much as I don't want banks to get involved uh, in this sense with Bitcoin and crypto, uh, you do need entry points for average everyday people to get into cryptocurrencies. And that's what an ETF will provide, because for most people, opening up a Coinbase account is still very complex. We need a better onboarding way to uh, purchasing cryptocurrencies and to participate and transfer your fiat to crypto uh, before we can really see it go uh, mainstream in the sense of actually owning it. So I think uh, this year you're much more likely to see 40 to 50K than holding it four or 5K uh, towards the rest of the year. And I, I know I'm probably a contrarian in that sense. Most people are probably on the bearish view right now. But I think the fundamentals in traditional markets are, are so bad and are, are so much on the verge. Of, you know, we've been talking about central bank policies. I think that they're so bad uh, and the current status of the world economy is uh, getting to be in a position where it's, it's going to start so showing some of the cracks in the seams. And once you have that, plus uh, all the new developments that are happening in crypto, with cryptocurrencies being at like a 70-something percent discount now, I'd put my money on crypto. I wouldn't be having it in stocks or anything else. Yeah. So. Your answer kind of like reminded me of those, uh, the conclusion of those discussions we had during our studies. That always We would always conclude, it depends. It depends. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, again, I like, to before we conclude our this discussion um are there are there any cryptocurrencies specifically that you're bullish on because i saw that you predict uh, bitcoin to be trading at 50k by the end of the year yeah yeah right. I, I don't have much yeah. much in regards to price targets i like that question because i don't mind talking about projects i like and stuff um I, again i'm kind of a mix between like two sides i understand there's two different parts to crypto there's peer-to-peer -peer digital cash and then there's other enterprise use cases for blockchain um, in regards to peer-to-peer -peer digital cash, a big bet that I've gone on recently, and I'm, I'm going to be riding throughout the altcoin cycle, and hopefully long-term, I think it's a great project until I find a better alternative, I, hey, I don't hey, think. Hang on a sec there, hang on a sec there, Nick. I'm just going to interject for a moment before you say it, because I don't want to hear bitching in the comments later on down the road. This is not professional or financial advice. <laughs> yes, it is not Nick financial advice. says it, because you don't want you going out there and put, putting the farm on it, all right? So, sorry, yeah. Nick, I don't want to interrupt you, but I think, uh, I think that needs to be said now james i'm gonna pinch myself i forgot to say it <laughs> gonna, gonna, don't want to break out of the habit i got you back mate i got you back <laughs> oh, yeah, no losses no just kidding but anyways uh towards uh i think yeah, james is very right uh it's not financial advice guys whenever i talk about something I, I incentivize people to read the white paper and to look into it as i would in traditional markets but uh i mean one project that i really like in regards to peer-to-peer -peer digital cash is still to this day nano uh, which was originally Rayblox. It's uh, it's the DAG-based cryptocurrency, and I put a I recently got a huge stake on it. I think it's going to do well in the long term, and I'm I'm holding out at the moment. I know it's the altcoin scene is probably not seen as the best place to have uh, your funds in right now. I like buying into lows though, and I think it's a it's a project that's seen a great correction in price, and the fundamentals are stronger than ever. I think they're having their mobile wallet come out. In the next few months, I wanted to beta test it, but my my iOS is not on the uh, proper uh, uh, operating system that uh, it needs to be to be able to use the demo. So I'm going to have to either update my iOS or get a new phone or something like that. I don't want to update it though. Uh, anyways, outside of that though, in regards to protocols, uh, which is my other interest, I mean, there's obviously the well-known ones. There's EOS, there's Cardano, there's a lot of cool protocols coming up. Uh, but there's a few ones that are still kind of under the radar right now that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, Argo, which is a project in South Korea that's still going through its uh, pre-sale phase. Uh, you've also got 
Uh, some people, a lot of people have been talking about Seller Network, but you've got all these increasingly interesting protocols coming out over the next few months. And I talked about it in a speech uh, called The Protocol Wars on my channel. Uh, I've spoken in Chiang Mai about it, where there's just going to be a massive storm of competition for Ethereum over the next year with all these teams and ideas of different uh, approaches to protocols. And I think what you're going to get is about three to five coming out at the end of uh, 2019 that are really steady competitors. I think EOS will be one of them with Ethereum, with the amount of community and support that it has. And we'll have to see if uh, you know there can be three others that come up to the, or three or four others that come up to the chase that can compete just as equally. Some have longer timeframes for delivery like Cardano, uh, but there's also a lot of other emerging players that have shorter timeframes that are delivering faster. And uh, there's a lot of excitement around them as well. I was going to say Verge, but I can't do it with a straight face. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, you know, Verge, I guess, uh, I, I, you know, I was really, I was real bullish about that membership, or inside of the membership, the partnership they got. That was a really, uh, really hard-hitting partnership. <laughs> this is our fourth podcast. I've brought it up. I'm just going to get, like, so much hate mail coming through from the Verge community. <laughs> but, you know, the, the last time... Tell you what, their investor pullout game is stronger than the actors on Brazzers. So you know, <laughs> they've got that going for them. Yeah, I, it's so funny. I knew a few people who, like, I don't talk with whales at all. I'm not, not in any whale groups in crypto. And I'm by no means a whale myself. I can I can say that for sure. But um, I've, I've met a few people. I had a friend who was uh, who mentioned to me later on, he was like a verge whale and got in at like, kind of think it was like, like single or double digit sats and everything. So he made a killing off that. But um, I mean, he, he even knew it was a it was a crappy cryptocurrency and stuff like for the most part, at least in his opinion. I, I know everyone has different opinions on Verge, but yeah, I just don't I don't more than anything. I don't like the approach that Verge has taken. Uh, they spent how much it was like $10 million on that partnership. And what has it done for them so far? Like, you know, that was my whole point. I brought up in a video I talked about it and people got so defensive. They're like, oh, my God, Nick. Wow. Nick's just hating on Verge. Nick, Nick, you don't understand how big of an industry this is. And I was I, I think they thought that I was putting my personal opinion on that industry uh, too heavy in regards to talking about it, like obviously, you know, they partner with Pornhub and stuff, but I just was like, I was like, man, this is, this really isn't what I would put aligned with my currency. If I wanted to brand a currency, like, I mean, you have to understand your first big partnership. I mean, that's, that's going to be a huge moment to send signals on what your currency is all about. So yeah, I, I think, and also as well, there's a lot of fundamental questions about Verge's actual privacy and most privacy coins in general, but um, you, you have things like Monero, which, I think are much better bets or uh, Zcoin or a lot of other things that use like ZK snarks or use uh, ring signatures, uh, all kinds of interesting things that are out there in the privacy coin space. All right, Nick, it's been uh, absolutely fantastic having you on the show here. I know that you're a, you're a busy man and you've got to get that resume up to date so you can, uh, you can put it out <laughs> everywhere. So anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Oh yeah, well, I, I just want to say again, you, you three, thank you guys for having me on. I'll definitely come on in the uh, in the future and stuff when I find the time, and uh, hopefully we can have some more talks and everything in regards to the things we discussed and outside of that, other topics. And just want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. A big fan of Altcoin Buzz and a lot of the other YouTube channels out there promoting a lot of awesome free knowledge to the community. And uh, yeah, if you guys want, you can check out my channel if you haven't already. Got to do the the um, the, 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 the plug. plug. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do the plug for the channel. But yeah, no. Anyways, uh, again, I'll I'll be sure to to share uh, 
all quite buzzed with the Data Dash community and stuff. And hopefully we can all just learn things from one another, have great times, and hopefully see everything happen in crypto together. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing about this community. We said last week, and I think we said it the week before, is that the best thing I think about crypto is the community and the willingness everyone is to put in together to, to help. We're all in this together. We're all family, whether you're, you're into your Verge, your Monero, your Cardano, your, <laughs> your, your Dogecoin, whatever. We're all family at the end of the day, aren't we? It's precisely. It's it's a global revolution. It's the thing I saw, ironically enough, we were talking about Praxis earlier, and it's the exact same thing I saw in Praxis, which was a willingness for people uh, to eagerly support one another and just build something together. And I think it's it's rare you get these opportunities in human history, but I'm I'm hey, I'm going to enjoy the most of it. You know, I want to I want to spend as much time building up great things with people and bringing about freedom and prosperity for one another. So what's, what's not to love. That's it. Well said, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. And been a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Guys, I think that was a pretty good uh, good interview with Data Dash. There, he's definitely quite an analytical man. He's got a lot to say, and I'd love to have him back on the show. I mean, we could talk for hours, to be honest, but we've all got finite amount of time on this planet, and uh, being being nighttime over here with all the time zones, you know, I still want to enjoy my Saturday night. So, uh, what did, what what was your take there, Leisha? What do you think of Mister Data Dash himself? Think- yeah, I think it was a really prolific discussion, and he had a lot to say. And what's most important is that what he had to say was interesting, informative, and something you can learn from. So he's mm. discussed, like he covered just about everything when it comes to cryptocurrencies, the way banks work, the fiat currencies, and so on and so on. And I'd love to have him back on the show. And I, I'm actually looking forward to it. What do you think, Matt? I thought it was a great discussion. And, uh, you know, you always go into a podcast discussion, you have your your questions lined up and you have a sense of, okay, we're going to stay in these lanes, we're going to discuss these topics. But prolific is exactly the right word, Lucia. I mean, what a what an intelligent, well-spoken guy. And just hearing about some of his perspectives beyond crypto were fascinating. You know, his yeah. perspectives on self-improvement and, you know, kind of bucking the trend and being a little bit of a contrarian sometimes or, or doing things that nobody else is really doing or pursuing. And Break them uh, I, yeah, exactly. I, I can really resonate with that kind of thinking. And uh, just interesting hearing his thoughts, even about being like a, a, tradi- a traditionalist and his personality. So I thought uh, from, you know, a perspective of analysis and knowledge about th- the subjects that we spoke about, I mean, he was just airtight. Really a pleasure to have, really a pleasure to uh, to listen to his insights. And uh, yeah, we look forward to collaborating again in the future. So our thanks to Nick for joining us. Definitely. Definitely. All right, guys. Well, that's it for the uh, the episode today. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. You can find our podcast uploaded every Monday and Friday on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, as well as our website, altcoinbuzz.io. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. So please do us a favor, leave us a comment and a view down below. Look, for more information about the news we just discussed, head over to our website, altcoinbuzz.io, where we publish all the latest news to keep you in the loop. And uh, Matty does an absolutely fantastic job on YouTube, so you can catch him on there as well. So again, from all the team here at Altcoin Buzz Podcast, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Bye.
The information discussed on the Altcoin Buzz YouTube, Altcoin Buzz Ladies YouTube, Altcoin Buzz Podcast, or other social media channels, including but not limited to Twitter, Telegram chats, Instagram, Facebook, website, etc., is not financial advice. This information is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Any information and advice or investment strategies are thoughts and opinions only, relevant to accepted levels of risk tolerance of the writer, reviewer, or narrator, and their risk tolerance may be different than yours. We are not responsible for your losses. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are high-risk investments, so please do your due diligence and consult a financial advisor before acting on any information provided. Copyright Altcoin Buzz, PTE Limited, all rights reserved.